Before we begin, if you're a movie maker looking to double your budget, check out Movie Maker Production Services at moviemaker.com slash MMPS. We use our network of industry contacts to get you exactly what you need for half what you would normally pay. Again, that's moviemaker.com slash MMPS. Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today we have two guests, Diego Anguero and Daniel Vecchioni, who are the director and director of photography, respectively, for the new film, Down With The King. If you love hip-hop and cinema and the great outdoors, you're probably going to love Down With The King, a film that just premiered as an acid selection at the Cannes Film Festival. It stars rapper Freddie Gibbs as a rapper named Merc, short for Mercury, who skips to a very beautiful, very rural area to work on his new album. But he still can't escape the stresses of the rap game, which include many demands on his time and enduring social media feuds. Hip-hop fans will remember that Down With The King is the title of a hit single and album by Run DMC, but the title of this film can also be interpreted other ways. Some people want to be down with the king, and some people want to bring the king down. Like many films shot during the pandemic, Down With The King was filmed largely outdoors and in scenes with not a lot of actors. It's often just Freddie Gibbs and the other excellent performers, like David Krumholtz, Sharon Washington, Bob Tarasek, and Jamie Newman, who you may remember from the excellent HBO series, The Deuce. She's really good here, too. But the fact that this film was shot under strict COVID protocols is shocking when you see a vibrant concert scene where Merck seems to be performing, quite convincingly, for tens of thousands of people in New York City. Down with the King director Diego Angaro and director of photography Daniel Vecchioni are about to explain how they pulled off that scene and the cinema verite feel of the entire film. As I explained at the top of this interview, for the first 20 minutes I was very confused about what I was watching, and that's a huge compliment. Here are Down with the King director Diego Angaro and DP Daniel Vecchioni. Director Diego Angaro, cinematographer Daniel Vecchioni, so excited to talk to you guys about this film. Can you just start by telling everybody what this is? Because I know not everybody has had a chance to see it yet. Yep. Um, so Down with the King is the story of um, a famous rap star uh, from New York called uh, Money Merck. And he is uh, sent by his uh, manager to a um, country house uh, in the Berkshires to write a new album, to work on a new album. And um, he's not doing much work and spend most of his time at his neighbor's farm um, learning uh, how to farm with, uh, with his, uh, this older farmer, white farmer, uh, who's his neighbor. And he's at a point of his uh, life and career where he feels um, tired of the, the music business and, uh, and he's been, has been in the grind, in that grind for 15 years um you know just churning out albums every year and touring and being on social media and being just it's relentless and and he realized that he wants out um and out of the blue um goes on twitter and and retires from the music business um and then the next day his manager finds out and storm to the countryside to uh, try to get him back into the game. Um, so that's kind of the premise of the film and it's going to follow um, whether or not uh, he's going to go back in there or what he's going to do with his life. He can start, if he can start over 
um, you know, after you've been uh, very good at what you're doing and you've done it for all your life, like, can you, can you start from scratch and, uh, and do something completely new? And um, that addresses some of these questions. And of course, um, just, you know, having the world of rap and the world of farming, which don't belong together, kind of uh, clash, I think is an interesting idea. Um, and, you know, but treating it in a serious way. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, that's it. I'll be really honest with you. The first 20 minutes or so, actually until the manager shows up, I thought I was watching a documentary about Freddie Gibbs going into nature. I really thought that this was a doc. And then people, I was like, why are they calling him Merck? And then finally, when I recognized the actor who plays the manager, I went, oh, okay, this is a, this is a feature film. Did you go for a documentary kind of fly on the wall, almost Frederick Weissman quality? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what I did for my, that's my second feature. That's what I did with the first feature film, which we also shot together with, uh, with Danielle, mm -hmm. um, which has a lot of cinema verite in it, largely uh, inspired by documentary and, and uh, working with non-professional actors and really trying to blur, blur the lines between uh, documentary and fiction. So the first, the first feature was, was doc heavy, even though it was a narrative, um, largely inspired on the main character's life. And this one is also in a way a little less documented, but it was important to get, first of all, a person that's not an actor uh, who's going to be a real uh, rapper and that we are going to be able to follow in his creative process and, and, and him basically sort of being who he is in, in, in real life, uh, but sort of project him in this fictional uh, situation and, and character um, so that we can actually be uh filming parts of it like a documentary um danny did you want to add to that yeah i mean i i think uh i think it's very exciting that you thought you were watching a documentary for the first 20 minutes and i think uh we we hopefully achieved uh, something good because i think the the style that diego and i were going for i think was sort of this uh we were talking about it at Cannes, but sort of this uh, aggressive uh naturalism type of thing where it's like very, very much like observational uh, documentary cinema or cinema verite. And I, definitely in each scene, it's, you know, we could do multiple takes, but I definitely, there's two cameras, any, any sort of dialogue scene, there was two cameras on. So it was like a, a camera and B camera, which operated by Connor Lawson. And I feel like each scene going in each take with the feeling of like, this is not going to happen again. Like you have to get this. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen the exact same way. And even the thing, the scene you were talking about, Diego, with the, the manager on the porch where, where uh, Tim, you realized you were watching a <laughs> fictional film, <laughs> a narrative film, uh, like, you know, David and Freddie never landed in the same place each time. So it's like basically picking a take that is, is the one that works basically, I think is generally how it worked, but, but yeah, definitely um, having that, that, uh, documentary narrative hybrid blend, I think was a, was a, something we were going for the, the whole time. Yeah. And, and, and building on the first feature that, that uh, Bob in the trees that, that Diego made uh, just the ideas of that and kind of trying to bump them up a little bit more uh, for this film too, basically. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about Bob in the trees in a bit. Can you talk about the lenses that you use, the techniques that you use? They must've been very light cameras to do this. 
Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a mashup. We had a a lot of discussion in pre-production, and we eventually landed on um, the visual style of the mashup of also the hip hop farming mashup. And I wanted to echo that within the the uh, visual style. So we ended up using Blackmagic pocket cinema cameras, six uh, Ks, and then we had anamorphic lenses on it. So the, the cameras are tiny; they're little 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 bodies, and the anamorphic lenses are, are huge, but we wanted to have something of both worlds kind of being it. So the anamorphic lenses being this, this hip hop world and then these pocket cameras being this gritty farm stuff that we kind of really kind of run around. We really wanted to keep it as small a footprint as possible, but I definitely did want to have the lenses have a feeling of money mark, you know, ha have this, this glamour and this, you know, this, this sheen to them that, uh, that the lenses brought. But then we were able to shoot, you know, on easy rigs quite a bit basically. Well, and we'd mix up, you know, sticks work and things like that too but but keeping it in a documentary vibe and and uh and and, and combining the, the two things which was kind of fun because the cameras had just come out too and we, we could only find one video where the these uh atlas orion lenses were used on the camera on online i couldn't find any camera builds or anything so it was kind of a beta test going into the into the film which is exciting and and uh nerve-wracking but i think i think the combo i, I really like how it looks i think too i think it looks uh kind of cool <laughs> That is incredible. Also, the sweep and just the magnitude of the scenes that you get. The Berkshires are so beautiful. And I was saying before we started recording, I've never seen them look more beautiful. The way that you were able to just capture these vistas, but also capture these intimate scenes, I think really speaks to the versatility of the way you shot it. It's really impressive. And Thank you very much. <laughs> maybe the most impressive thing in the entire movie from a technical standpoint is there's a concert scene and I have no idea how you did it because you shot this during COVID. There was a lot of people in that scene. I understand you followed COVID protocols. So was this a mix of stock footage and some very clever camera work? How did you do it? Danny, you want to take it? Yeah, uh, sure, I'll, I'll give a <laughs> Well, I, we only had I, I, 15 or 16 extras uh, for the whole scene. So there was stock footage, so all the huge stuff is stock footage and then we mixed in these 15 or 16 extras while you know we're in the middle of a pandemic so everyone had like from behind everyone had their masks on stuff like that and they were largely silhouetted and just like long lenses and just kind of really like energetic camera moves so, so we're like you know behind the, the audience some places and you felt like you're like maybe third row fourth row at a concert you know like a really energetic concert which we ended up shooting at uh mass mocha and then you're like on stage with money mark too for parts of it so you're like in and out of it and i think the uh, diego and the uh the sound team did an amazing job on that too the sound is is really sells that super well too i was super nervous going to that because we were like we're like okay if we can get 30 people and they're like okay we have 15 we're like okay let's go we're shooting it <laughs> and uh but i love i love that scene it's an it's amazing you know it was, it was super fun to shoot too and the, and the, the team at mass mocha was incredible uh in, in with with all lighting and, and dealing with us for the, with their stage and stuff like that too they were they were amazing yeah and that's something we prepared in in advance too we really we were aware that it would be a challenge you know with our budget with covid with the amount of extra that we would have so we really planned it out for, for the best and looked at stock footage also that would match the lighting that we would go for on stage so that would cut out like cut away like well you know so i think we put all our ducks in line before um because this type of stuff you usually end up like figuring it out in post but we didn't really didn't want to take any chance on anything so 
and uh, the plan worked pretty well. And already before we did the sound mix, I could tell that visually this I was completely sold. Uh, mm -hmm. Me just as the you know putting those pieces together, I I was buying it myself already. So I was like, okay, the battle is like already won, and then. With the sound design, you just make it better and, and give this impression of crowd, like which really sells it after. And I don't think there's any doubt or uh, that anyone will see that scene and will be like, eh, I can tell that there's like you know, 12 people there. <laughs> I dare. <laughs> the two brilliant things I think you did, there's a lot of brilliant things I think you did, but the two key most brilliant things are starting off with hearing the crowd chanting his name from backstage so you get a sense that there's this massive crowd out there, which is just such a great sort of way of hypnotizing us. And then you have that long shot of a teeming crowd of like the largest crowd I've ever seen shot just from above. And they're these, because of the lighting, they're sort of blue and red and they're moving and they look almost like insects or aliens or something. You just get this sense of a massive audience and it really, really sells it. And just beautiful job. Congratulations. I haven't seen anybody else do anything like that. Uh, in COVID era filmmaking. Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, really it was one of the challenges was like, okay, we have to sell this concert right away. You have to, you have to be in there. You don't have to um, wonder how they did it. And then, you know, yeah, with that, you know, that chanting and then you dive into this like sea of people and then, then you're in it, you're in a concert of some like, you know, some big star and, um, and everything that follows, you're going to be, okay, yeah, just, you're not going to be questioning it, you know, the veracity of it. So I think that was important to start like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you talk about the origins of this film? Because I know there was another film, Bob in the Trees, which features one of the actors in this film. And this is kind of a companion to that film, which I believe came out at Sundance in 2015. Right. Yep. That's correct. So Bob in the Trees, was my first feature film. We shot it with uh, Danny uh, and another DP. They co-DP'd the film, Chris Teague. Um, they worked together. They're really good friends and both operated one camera. And it was it was wonderful to work with two talented uh, cinematographers like them. Um, and Bob and the Trees came. I was, I've been living in this region for 15 years. And when we did Bob in the Trees, I had been living in that, the village with the, where we shot Bob in the Trees uh, for seven, eight years. And I met uh, the main character of the film who exists in real life. And his name is Bob. And Bob and I became friend, uh, friends and, um, and Bob is a logger and also has a small farm. And he has a fascinating life and he became a friend of mine and um, I decided to make a film about him. I made a short film first in 2011. Uh, it was a 30 minute short that toured into festivals and then realized that there was a bigger story to be told. Um, that short film already had the pace of a feature film. Um, so then a few years after that, you know, Bob was game, he was excited, uh, and I was too. And so we decided to make a feature films. And I, uh, I wrote the story uh, largely inspired on a real event that happened in his life. And, you know, took some liberty with the reality and uh, injected some fiction into it to be able to tell a, a full story. And uh, 
And then we made the film in a very tastile um, parts, largely documented when he goes logging with his son in the woods. This is this is full on documentary. And, and you know, and there are more hands-on hands-on scenes or scenes where I inter- intervene a lot more uh, when it's time to, you know, to revolve around like a plot point or like to tell the, the story that you want to tell or the more dramatic aspects of it. And meshing that all together works. And Bob, who has this incredible chemistry with Freddie Gibbs in the movie, is in real life, tell me where I'm wrong about how much of this is real and how much is fake. He's a white man in middle age uh, who is very interested in golf and also very interested in pretty political hip hop music. Right. So is he like in his 20s or 30s listening to KRS-One and Public Enemy and things like that? And then it just sort of carries over into middle age or what? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think he was probably older than that when we when he was listening to um, to Public Enemy and Keras and uh, but yeah, that's why this Bob is an interesting character because he's definitely not the person you would imagine a logger be, you know, or a farmer. Um, he uh, and I think that's that's interesting when you tell a story, you know, to be uh, avoiding cliches like that and and, and surprise. Uh, the viewer with your character or with some of the the story. Um, so Bob is Bob is everything that you just said, uh, which I think makes it makes for an interesting character. And 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 the relationship with Freddie in the film was um, first of all it was real. It was important when Freddie Gibbs came to Massachusetts he, that he met Bob and that these guys get along. And it was really important. We spent a few days. Uh, before the, the shoot, uh, just hang out, just so these guys can hang out. So Bob can show him the farm. They can just, you know, have fun and get to know each other. Because to me, it's really a key part of the process that they actually get along in real life so that it shows on screen, you know? So we did that and it it was, there was a spark right away. And I saw these guys just like having fun and telling jokes and I left them alone on their own, like for like an hour. And I was having a great time because I, I could see that the chemistry was working. Um, and um, yeah. And I think, you know, that the, the fact that Bob is this uh, kind of wild card, like farmer slash logger and, and gets along with, with Freddie is, is, is interesting, especially nowadays in the in the political climate, and uh, you know, um, it's important to also show something like that that you don't see very often on screen, and show that there is a possibility of people like these two coming from two different, very different worlds can can get along, you know, uh, and live in harmony together. Yeah, we realize again and again, people are so much more complicated than you think they are. Like even the name Merck, you think, oh, it's probably Merck, like mercenary. No, it's short for Mercury, the God. Yeah. And the film gets into that. It's there's just so many little touches that get into the depth and the the complicatedness of people. And I mean, Jamie Newman, you're one of your professional actors who has the biggest role, and David Krumholtz, who has another huge role, are obviously very natural on camera, but they're professional actors. Bob is so natural. And I think part of that, he must have gotten comfortable in front of the camera, right? Daniel, are there things that you did to kind of make him more comfortable and building that relationship over the years? Um, I think it really helped doing 
he was the, the lead in Bob in Bob in the Trees and stuff like that. So he was very used to me, and I I also love Bob too. He's an amazing guy, and just going over to Bob's house and uh, and shooting on his farm is like a magical place. That location is is incredible um, and stuff. And he's really I feel like you know he's really hosting me. I feel like a guest at his place whenever I go over there. But he's you know like what, what you see is what you get on screen too. Like that's just Bob being Bob, just like, just the biggest hearted guy, wonderful, you know, just super charming, very outgoing kind of, kind of guy. And it's fun just go over there, you know, and, he, and it's real, you know, you go over to Bob's house, hang out. It's like, he's putting on like most stuff, just kind of like hanging out in the basement of Bob's house, just, you know, hanging out. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's all, uh, it's just kind of all there, but, uh, but I don't think, you know, I, I feel like I, I hopefully I did this a small part that, that, you know, of what I could to make him, feel more comfortable but i feel like from the first film but you know as soon as we saw him it's like big hugs right into the movie and it's like you know getting to getting to work with bob which is just uh just enjoyable all the time really <laughs> i i like him a lot because i feel like in 10 or 15 years i'm gonna be that old hip-hop right. guy where people are like why do you like this music you're <laughs> old they're like i liked it when i was 14 but you know <laughs> we get old it happens that scene with between freddie and bob in the barn where they're rapping together as that was happening. I was like, this isn't, that's my favorite. I think my favorite scene, I don't know, Diego, I don't know about you, but I, I, that, that scene is, is I think the heart of the movie between those two guys. I think it's a, it's a, it's an amazing scene and hilarious too. It has like all the elements of film that I like. It's unexpected and funny and has a lot of heart. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a solid scene. And you could feel it as it was going on. You're like, this is good. This is really, you know, like <laughs> try not to mess up the camera. <laughs> so, Freddie Gibbs, your lead, I think you found a movie star. This is his first, first feature film, which is incredible to me. He's so good, so charismatic, just really pulls you in on this journey. And it's just incredibly compelling to watch. How did you, how did you sync up with him? And how did you collaborate with him on the story? Right. So um, I, I so a music video of Freddie and uh, on his on his second album with Madlib on Bandana. bandana. The, the the music video is, is called Karim Pays, and in it he plays. He has a bit of a comedy for like a minute and a half in the middle of the music video without music, and he delivers so much in such a short amount of time, and he's so funny. He really caught my attention, and I was like, "Wow, who is this guy? He's so good. He has the." biggest charisma I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, I need to watch more. I need to hear more. And then started listening to all the kind of interviews and every little bit that he has online, listening to his music. And I was totally sold. And, you know, after that, it was like, okay, he's the guy. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and fast forward a few weeks and it, it, we're in the middle of the pandemic, March, 2020, uh, everyone is on lockdown and I'm thinking that Freddie must be like everyone else stuck at home with his kids um, and his tour being canceled. And I was, I figured that it would be the time now to try to get in touch with him with an offer like this. You know, Freddie had not acted in, in a movie before. Uh, so it would be a first first role. Um, yeah. So yeah, going going out in a time like this where you might totally uh, reassess your priorities and see at a project like that, see and and see a project like that uh, totally differently. Um, 
because you have more time because um and uh and it worked so we got in touch with his um manager and after a few weeks we were able to uh, sync up with freddie and he was very receptive of what the character goes through um that sort of crisis of you know mid-career crisis and the grind that he go through and uh, the wanting to get away from that he could really relate to that and he also really wanted to become an actor and do more acting uh so these were the two main reasons he said yes to the project um and after that uh we started looking for funding uh and you know after a few months and looking with freddie attached and every a company turning us down we finally uh were like super lucky to find breaker studio uh and zach lebeau and, and kim jackson who uh who said yes gave us the thumbs up and financed this movie and we made it happen like five weeks later mm. so that went like super fast um and and that just to finish the answering your question the, the way we work with with freddie is um on the story is that my screenwriter and I, Shabi uh, Molia, and myself. So we wrote the story about a rapper who was more broadly written. You know, it was it, there was some specifics about him, but you know, when Freddie came in, it was like, okay, we're gonna bring in a lot of who Freddie is, his background, his life experience into the character, um, and and really, I had long chats with Freddie to kind of know him better uh his values his life his religion and 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 how we would do things and how we would react in certain scenes and we talked in depth about the project to kind of tailor it to who he is you know and 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 build this character based on on freddie gibbs uh you know not exactly freddie gibbs but sort of a sort of an alter ego yeah you were shooting this after kanye went to montana and this is just my free association. I remember Kanye had that video with Zach Galifianakis uh, where they're on a, I guess they're on a farm in North, I think it's North Carolina. Yeah. You don't tell me nothing. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah. tell me nothing. Yeah. yeah. Was, was Kanye in your head at all as you, as you envisioned this character? Yeah, remotely. I, I, I never knew too much about what Kanye was going through. I knew about the story. I, of course, I remember that music video was really funny. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's what you think when you when you picture farming and hip hop together. It's kind of like the the really funny thing, um, which we treated uh, a little more seriously in the story. Of course, there's some comedic uh, relief, but um, yeah. yeah. So it was it was it was kind of there, far away. Uh, and I think the character in the story is not quite canny as famous, but you know, sort of in between. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was that was there in the back of my mind for sure. Yeah, and do you ever say in the film that it's the Berkshires? Because I I like that. I don't think I know exactly where it is without reading the press notes. Well, I'm sorry. Your question is where is it in the Berkshires? Do you ever identify in the film that it's the Berkshires, or do is it just kind of a generic um, rural area? I, I I don't think we say it specifically in the film. So you can you can watch the film and not really know where you are. We mentioned New York. You, you know that you're not too far from New York, so you assume you're in New England somewhere. Yeah. But no, we don't. We don't specifically mention towns' names or or any specific location for sure. 
I love that. It felt so universal. <laughs> yeah. I think it's nice when, when something is universal like this, or even like timely, you know, when you don't have notions of exact time in the movie and it's like, yeah, I think it's, it's nice when you can do that. The last thing I want to ask, which I probably should have asked first, Daniel and Diego, how did you two meet up? Danny, go ahead. Uh, my good friend, Chris Teague, uh, had shot the um, Bob and the Tree short film with Diego. And then as he was prepping um, uh, Bob and the Trees, the feature, uh, he was talking to me about possibly co-DPing it. And I was like, I don't know how that would work, but we're, you know, we've co-owned a bunch of gear over the years and we're, and we're good friends. And, and he said um, we could, uh, you know, basically go to the Berkshires and uh, hang out in a log cabin and, and drink whiskey with this guy, Diego. And I was like, I'm in, let's do it. So. <laughs> And then uh, that's how it started. So I, I met Diego really on the on Bob and the Trees, the feature, and then um, uh, through my friend Chris. And I just I love the way Diego works, and it's been it's been fun. This is our third one. We did another uh, short uh, art documentary that I think is really was really really fun to, sh to shoot, also in the Berkshires. And um, so we met that way. But it's been it's been great. It's I love the, the these sort of doc narrative hybrids, and I love the way you know Diego's mind works and how he approaches the films. And it's been. It was great. It was, it's uh, been a, a, a fortunate uh, uh, meeting <laughs> on that one. Uh, last, last thing I should ask. You mentioned that it was hard to find funding for this. And once you see it, it seems like the kind of movie that people will freak out over and immediately get. And it won't be a difficult sell at all. Like once you can actually see your footage, it's great. But can you talk about why people didn't see it or what, why they didn't think it would work when you were first pitching it? I think there's multiple reasons. Um, the, the way I like to work, or I worked on my first two films, uh, we worked based on treatment. So it was non-scripted. Uh, you know, it was broken down by scenes. It was pretty specific and very detailed about what happens and could really read it like a book. Uh, but I think first, yeah, a lot of people don't like that when they do not see dialogues. So they, they have a harder time to protect themselves. So I think this was a first wall that was in front of us um, to find funding. And the second thing was that for a long time, we didn't have the main character. We didn't have Merck. We didn't, we didn't know who that, who, who that would be. Uh, we had ideas, we had people we were trying to approach and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, it was a really the key piece of that puzzle is like, who is that guy? Who is, who is this rapper who, before you don't, if you don't have him, I mean, I can't project myself. So, you know, that took a long time. And then, and then eventually once we were able to get uh, Freddie on board, people got, got very excited, uh, but still was still really hard to find um, the money. I think there was, you know, COVID was, was raging at that point. So, I mean, that was one, one thing that was going on. Uh, still unscripted. I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable with that. Um, and yeah, two main reasons. And, and for months, we, we could find people excited with the story and, and seeing something. But as far as putting money down, it was a totally different story. And we were really lucky to find people who had the vision, who could really project themselves and got extremely excited so bomb and trees and and instantly reacted and and got in touch with me uh and it's yeah zach 
Lebeau at Breaker Studio and Kim Jackson. Uh, and yeah, I owe them a lot uh, because they, they saw it. They saw it, they had the vision and we matched our vision and they gave me a lot of freedom to make the film I had in mind. And I really uh, respect them for that. That was Diego Anguero and Daniel Vecchioni, the director and DP, respectively, of Down With The King, which I highly recommend. I'm Tim Malloy from Movie Maker. You can check out all the stuff we do whenever you like at moviemaker.com. You can, of course, subscribe to this podcast or recommend it to a friend. And we have a print magazine, Movie Maker Magazine, for everyone who loves the art and craft of making movies. If you've listened this far, that includes you. Thank you for listening, and see you back here very soon.